0: section sixteen of the dial may nineteen twenty this libravox recording is in the public domain reading by matt Burrard. section sixteen one woman composer by pitts sanborn impressions that remained memories by ethel smythe in two volumes illustrated five hundred and eighty five pages longman's green and company new york ethel smythe with no literary pretension and an unabashedly colloquial sometimes a slipshod style possesses and employs the life-giving faculty of the born writer of memoirs the figures that peopled her pages seem as real to the reader as they must be to her an incident or anecdote is bitten in with the sureness the sharpness the brevity of a master etcher and it is all by the by the memoirs are documented on a mass of correspondence from the protagonists yet the effect of the book as a whole is just sufficiently haphazard what the french call and therein is the strength of the book there is no formal setting of stages and drilling of the dramatis personae rather what is given has the quality of being lived before our eyes ethel smythe was born into an english country family april twenty third 1858 she was musical and a tomboy her father a general in the army who spent a part of his life in india seems to have been a worthy gentleman of the good conservative county tradition ethel began shocking him early i think i am the only one of the six miss Smythes who has ever been really thrashed and continued to shock him until paternal resignation became the better part of military valor of course the general did not approve of a musical career for young ladies but ultimately he succumbed to filial strength and strategy her mother was a rare woman beautiful temperamental gay witty not always tactful and musical behind the immediate family group there were five other daughters and two sons hovers the elusive and fascinating figure of bonnie this was the maternal grandmother who married an adventurer whom she adored lived in paris and corresponded in an interesting manner with interesting members of the opposite sex and indeed strayed so far from the strict sect of county propriety that her residence abroad was an obvious relief to the majority of her family in england this very giddy skeleton in a french closet was hushed up before her grandchildren as a sort of family disgrace but miss Smythe after reading some of her letters in later years came to the conclusion that poor bonnemon gifted warm-hearted impulsive and thoroughly injudicious would have been her favourite relation the reader would fain know more of the beguiling bonnemon and her escapades and certainly the heredity indicated from mother and grandmother is one more argument for the validity of the theory that from out of some maternal reservoir of talent comes the endowment which makes a given number of a given race stand apart from and above the other members it was one of a series of more or less temporary and unhappy governesses that passed in and out of the smythe household of romping children who decided ethel's future course when i was twelve a new victim arrived who had studied music at the leipzig conservatorium then in the heyday of its reputation in england for the first time i heard classical music and a new world opened up before me i then and there conceived the plan carried out seven years later of studying at leipzig and giving up my life to music no one in the family took this intention seriously but it was a decision cast in iron the summer of eighteen seventy seven found miss smythe having surmounted all obstacles of tradition and paternal objection actually in the leipzig of her dreams it should be pointed out she says that the scene of that golden time was nothing less than a lingering bit of the dear old german of heine and goethe doomed presently to vanish under the stress of imperialism Chapters follow on Leipzig, the quaintness of the town, the groups into which its provincial society was sharply divided. Miss Smythe, being a lawless English girl, was allowed by each group to frequent the others. The notable figures of each group, the conservatorium, the Gewontas concerts, the extreme musical conservatism, and the atmosphere of a provincial community that was sincere and for all its teapot tempests, restful chapters often as remarkable for the vivid turning of a phrase as for the spontaneous eloquence of a profound sympathy and affection miss smythe soon outgrew the conservatorium the glorious part was the rest of the music life the concerts and the opera one may judge the classical conservatism of musical leipzig from the fact that though in other towns the custom of playing excerpts from Wagner at concerts had been started such a thing was taboo within the sacred walls of the gewandhaus not even the overtures to his operas were tolerated and i remember an all but successful attempt to borrow the siegfried idol this quite orthodox concert piece was so ill-received several of the permanent subscribers staying away to mark their indignation that the experiment was not repeated. The great Frau Livia Trich, one of the dominant figures in music and fashion, even boasted that she had never listened to a Wagner opera because she wished to keep herself musically pure. The glories of the opera were for Miss Smythe, a wild English girl, but not for the Brahmins of Leipzig though exception was made of course in favour of mozart and fidelio my group considered opera a negligible form of art probably because brahms had wisely avoided a field in which he would not have shown, and of which the enemy wagner was in possession besides this the golden age of leipzig had been orchestral and oratorial and both musicians and concert public were suspicious of music drama the old families who had been rooted in their gewandos seats from time immemorial seldom hired boxes at the opera i used to go and hear carmen still my favourite opera whenever i had a chance and was indignant at Herzogenberg's patronising remark that bizet was no doubt ein galaken a little genius but in that school bizet Chopin, and all the great who talk tragedy with a smile on their lips who dart into the depths and come up again instantly like divers who in fact decline to wallow in the immensities all these were habitually spoken of as small people as a commentary on miss smythe's preference for carmen it is worth recalling that bizet's opera was at one time a positive fad with no less a classicist than brahms himself brahms the father and miss brahms but there is no hint in the memoirs that ethel smythe knew of the foster-paternal predilection here enter the three l's of miss smythe's destiny in whatever set i might happen to find myself three names were constantly on all lips uttered with respect admiration or devotion as the case might be hitherto for various reasons I had met none of these evidently remarkable personalities then suddenly fate made good, and in the case of a single week, Livia Frey, Lilly Voop, and Elizabeth von Herzogenberg swam into my orbit. Frau Frey has already been mentioned. Lilly Voop was Mendelssohn's youngest daughter, the only absolutely normal and satisfactory specimen I have ever met of a much to be pitied the children of celebrated personalities Frau freck was older than the other two i used to note the beauty in her face and voice when she spoke of mendelssohn who with his wife had been of her most intimate friends a world that since then had begotten brahms not to speak of wagner was growing contemptuous of its former idol and she was aware of the fact but did not consider it necessary even to discuss the matter no insistence on his merit no apology just the old love and faith i thought this attitude wonderful but to carry it through you had to be livia of the light-holding sapphire eyes elizabeth von Herzogenberg, liesel wife of heinrich von Herzogenberg, the only aristocrat in town who was also a good composer was destined to be the dominant figure in miss smythe's life though the friendship was violently and permanently interrupted through it seems miss smythe's relation to frau von herzogenberg's sister and brother-in-law julia and henry brewster but almost from their first meeting miss smythe appropriated the herzogenberg couple and not long afterwards heinrich von herzogenberg took her under his wing as a pupil thus rescuing her from the farcical instruction of the conservatorium it was inevitable that through the Herzogenbergs miss smythe brahms should meet brahms himself early in eighteen seventy nine i think some time in january brahms came to leipzig to conduct his violin concerto played of course by joachim from the very first i had worshipped brahms music as i do some of it now since was predisposed to admire the man but without exactly disliking him his personality neither impressed nor attracted me and i never could understand why the faithful had such an exalted opinion of his intellect rather taciturn and jerky as a rule and notoriously difficult to carry on a conversation with after meals his mind and tongue unstiffened and then under the stimulus of countless cups of very strong black coffee he was ready to discuss literature art politics morals or anything under the sun on such occasions though he never said anything stupid i cannot recall hearing him say anything very striking and when his latest pronouncement on bismarck poetry or even music was ecstatically handed round it generally seemed to me that what any might have said and now comes the secret of the great gulf fixed between the future militant and her musical idol i think what chiefly angered me was his views on women which after all were the views prevalent in germany only i had not realized the fact having imagined mein Mond sagt was a local peculiarity brahms as artist and bachelor was free to adopt what may be called the poetical variant of the kinderkirche axiom namely that women are playthings he made one or two exceptions as such men will and chief among these was leisel to whom his attitude was perfect reverential admiring and affectionate without a tinge of amorousness to see him with lily frau schumann and her daughters or other links with his great predecessors was to see him at his best so gentle and respectful was his bearing in fact to frau schumann he behaved as might a particularly delightful old-world son i remember a most funny conversation between them as to why the theme of his d major piano variations had what she called an unnecessary bar tacked on this being one of the supreme touches in that wonderful soaring tune she argued the point lovingly but as ever with some heat and i thought him divinely patient I like best to think of Brahms at the piano playing his own compositions or Bach's mighty organ fugues sometimes accompanying himself with a sort of muffled roar as of titans stirred to sympathy in the bowels of the earth the veins in his forehead stood out his wonderful bright blue eyes became veiled and he seemed the incarnation of the restrained power in which his own work is forged for his playing was never noisy and when lifting a submerged theme out of a tangle of music he used jokingly to ask us to admire the gentle sonority of his tenor thumb one of his finest characteristics was his attitude towards the great dead in his own art he knew his own worth what great creator does not but in his heart he was one of the most profoundly modest men i ever met and to hear himself classed with such as beethoven and bach to hear his c minor symphony called the tenth symphony jarred and outraged him once when he turned up to rehearse some work of his reinecke had not yet finished rehearsing one of mozart's symphonies i forget which and after the slow movement he murmured something to lazel that i did not catch she afterwards told me he had said I'd give all my stuff cram, to have written that one Andante. Brahms remained the musical idol, though he never became the close personal friend, but in Miss Smythe's pages are clearly etched glimpses of other famous musicians. The Joachims touched in the case of Joachim himself with a delicious malice. The rompkins Robenstein, Henschel, Craig, Tchaikovsky, who bade miss smythe cultivate the art of orchestration scorned in brahms ridden leipzig where the matter was held sacred and the manner might go hang the ruthless mahler nikisch the lady-killer and even the much younger fritz kreisler there is a tragic anecdote of mahler and the demoniacal charm he possessed for women in spite of his ugliness i felt this even when i saw him last it was in vienna in nineteen o seven worn out exasperated prematurely aged wrestling with the hapsburgs as personified by the intendant of the opera house he had made the first in the world he was far and away the finest conductor i ever knew with the most all-embracing musical instinct and it is one of the small tragedies of my life that just when he was considering the question of producing the records at vienna they drove him from office when he was gone his enemies regretted their action but the ideal of art he said his passionate refusal to abate one jot or tittle of his artistic demands the magnitude and purity of his vision these are things that start a tradition and linger after sunset at the time i am speaking of in leipzig i saw but little of him and we didn't get on i was too young and raw then to appreciate this grim personality intercourse with whom was like handling a bomb cased in razor edges miss smythe makes no allusion to his later experiences in new york the temptation to quote is so strong that unless one resolutely reins in one would find oneself quoting the whole of the two volumes they are a series of shrewd lively evocative views of men and women big personalities for miss smythe though obviously no snob in the vulgar fashion does not waste time unnecessarily on little ones for the good reason that they do not interest her and man lives here on earth but once the big ones are there to be had for those who in their turn are big enough to capture them this book is a rich and irresistibly vivid panorama the reader has the pleasure of it that he has of a portrait-gallery whose subjects interesting in themselves are delineated with comprehension and an unerring instinct of reproduction further from the wealth of indications offered he may construe the forthright character of miss smythe the work of construing i do not mean to attempt unto the reader that which is the reader's and then much of the book has to do with personal adventures of the author which THE READER WILL READ, BUT ON WHICH I DO NOT EVEN TOUCH. THERE IS, FOR INSTANCE, THE HIGHLY DIVERTING INTERLUDE OF HER BRIEF ENGAGEMENT TO NO LESS A PERSONAGE THAN WILLIE WILD, BUT THROUGH MOST OF THE TWO VOLUMES RUNS THE RECURRENT THEME OF Lysel, LESS A leitmotif THAN AN IDÉFIX, AND IT IS HER DEATH THAT DETERMINES THE END OF THE STORY. In frankness, Miss Smythe rivals that master of reminiscence, Mr. George Moore, but unlike Mr. Moore, she never plays the enfant terrible. About herself, she is apparently willing to tell anything, but her sense of mime and tone is keen and definite, where others are involved too intimately, as in the case of the Henry Brewsters, she makes explicit her reserve. Read the book how you will for its evocation of other places and times for the light it throws on men and women of genuine consequence and often of great fame as one more revelation of self by a being whose self is worth revealing as treasure-trove for our friend the psychoanalyst read the book how you will and you are sure to find that you have wasted your time as little as the energetic and acquisitive miss smythe was wont to waste hers End of section 16.